Good morning. Forgot my water. I'm out of breath already. Hey, uh, I know we got some new faces in here this morning. Thank you for joining us. Um, here's the deal. If you enjoy the service this morning, my name's Nathan Harrison. If you don't enjoy it, my name's John Burns, okay? So um, we'll, get, we'll get those emails to you after, <laughs> after we gauge that, all right? So thank you so much for being here this morning. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for, as, as Graham and, and the worship team sang earlier, your grace uh, upon us. And we know that that grace um, is, is, of course, in the form of your word, your son, your, your saving work. But thank you for your word. We ask that you would clear away any, um, any fog this morning, anything distracting us. And uh, Lord, we know we can't understand even a word of it without your spirit. And so illuminate. Illuminate your word in our hearts and our minds. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, we are uh, actually in week two of something we began last week, as you saw in the video, called Back To. Back To, because this is a time of year, every single year, that we're all getting back to something. There's back to school. There's back to work. There's back to uh, our seasonal activities. There There are all kinds of back tos, but especially this year, there's a back to. And uh, for, for some churches, actually, today is a reopening day. Um, for some of you, this is a coming back day. This is maybe your first time back in person. And um, so there's a lot of, there are a lot of back-tos that we're, we're navigating. And we began talking last week about how coming back to uh, church, whether it's this fall or every single Sunday, um, is not just an activity that we do, but it's a posture of the heart. And there are some back-tos that, that God in his word and Jesus point us to that are, are so healthy for us. And they're the kind of back-tos that, as you see up here, move us actually forward. And we go back to the future. I know some of you were hoping for the movie when you saw that. Um, not the case this morning. But let me tell you, there's one um, back-to that always puzzles me. And it ha- because you just never know what it's going to produce. And it comes from the world of fashion. Okay, every single year, and and I've realized that the longer you live, the more of this you see. You see little pieces that were trends in fashion from years past that start getting combined with other trends of other other seasons of fashion in years past. Okay, so like tight-rolled jeans. Remember that? Children of the 80s, early 90s? Okay, well, a few of us remember it. Uh, Anyway, so there were bell-bottoms, okay? There were... Suits of armor, as we saw last week up on the slides. Um, No, that hasn't made its way back yet. But there's one that is just so puzzling to me right now. And it's puzzling to me because I see it when I drop off our high school daughter every single day. Did you know that mom jeans are back? Have you seen this? Mom jeans are back. It's like a pair of Converse and mom jeans. And um, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, then you're you're, you're in that category, okay? We'll just say that. Um, and I realized, I was thinking to myself, and I was like, okay, I can't get used to this trend. I, I just don't understand it. So um, here's what I've noticed. Whenever I notice a trend and I catch on, that's usually the end of the trend because that's just what happens when you become an adult. So um, can we all agree that tomorrow is Mom Jeans Monday, whether you're male or female? We're all wearing mom jeans. We're in this together, okay? <laughs> so that's how we're going to end that trend, all right? Now. Obviously, there are a ton of cultural back-tos that we could point at, and, and, and those would be ideas for moving forward. 
And, and there's certainly nothing wrong with considering what is the best way to carry out our, our mission here at the church. What is the best way to uh, go forward personally? What is the best way? Uh, we even have thoughts, especially the, the last year and a half. We all have thoughts on what we need to get back to is the best way forward. I'm, I'm sure that makes sense to all of us. But I want to talk to you over the coming weeks about some back-tos that, that are highlighted in Scripture. And these are these back-tos that we do tend to, just human nature, move away from. And Jesus continues to say, come back to. Come back to this. Come back to this. Come back to this. And I want to talk to you about one this morning. I believe this is the starting place. That if we're going to get back to anything, yes, there are some specific concrete things. But if we're going to get back to anything, there's a back to that's got to happen in every single heart in here. Because if we don't get back to this, then we're going to struggle with everything else. And Paul actually gets to it. He's talking to a church, the church at Corinth. He writes this first letter to them. And he's really addressing a church that is full of different ideas about how life should be and how we should um, operate and how we should carry ourselves. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul begins drilling down on the primary back to for all of us. As he looks at this church, and they're all coming up with all of their ideas and, and what is the best thing, and, and they're fighting with each other. Paul raises a question. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20. He says this, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? See, he's raising this question because as he looks around, he sees all kinds of back-tos in the church. And a lot of the church is actually going back to an old way of life. That they insist on, on living out an old way of life. And so, that when, when you begin to look at some of the issues that they're dealing with, you can actually see some parallels between them and us. No, the, the situation wasn't the same. It was a society in which there were, there were Jews. And Jews, from their history, they expected signs and wonders. You know, God had delivered them in miraculous form. And so to them, the sign of, of power in the church was that God would continue to carry out signs and he would do miracles and there'd be wonders. Mixed in, in this congregation, there, there were these, um, the Greeks, the Hellenists. And, and their way of operating, the way they showed superiority with one another was wisdom. You know, they'd have these debates, and it was a way of life. And it was, it was through that method that they would establish that they, were, they knew what they were talking about, that they had authority. Now, you and I likely don't wake up in the morning looking for exactly those things. But we certainly look for something like it. I mean, you think about us. Many of us, as, as we think about what, what should we go back to, and you can probably see this over the journey of your life, there's very much a back to be perfect. If I could just, or if, if they could just, and oftentimes we say it about they, not us, if, if our president would just be perfect, if our governing authorities would just be perfect, if our leaders would just be perfect, if my neighbor would just be perfect, if my friends would just be perfect, if my coworkers would just be perfect, can you hear the expectation? that we lay on people. See, our human wisdom thinks if everybody would just be perfect, then we wouldn't have any problems. Well, duh. But here's the problem. <laughs> Nobody is, right? Nobody is. I mean, I, I so felt for whoever the quarterback was going to be for the Broncos right after Peyton Manning left. 
Because what was the miles and miles and miles high expectation of Denver of the quarterback who came after Peyton Manning? He just wasn't going to live up to it. Tom Osborne, that great football coach for the Nebraska Cornhuskers years ago, I remember when he retired, I, I just thought, poor guy who comes behind him. I mean, because the expectation is sky high. And that's part of our, just our human wisdom. The way sin has corrupted our thinking is we, we begin to hold up these expectations of one another that only God can live up to. Well, there's another. There's another form of, of wisdom that we operate with and, and that we expect. And it, this one has to do with looking in the mirror of ourselves. We think, be more. You know, everybody else be perfect. I, if I could just be more. If I just go to church more. Have you caught yourself saying that? If I just read the Bible more. If I would just pray more, and here's, here's the problem with be more. There's no real standard that says you've accomplished more, that you've arrived there. And so we're left with two responses. We either think, okay, I accomplished be more, and there's pride, or we think I fell short of being more, and we despair. So we got be perfect, be more, but there's another back two that we look for, and it's before. Be perfect, be more, and be for. That is the way things have always been done. I will not deny tradition is a powerful thing. It's a necessary thing. But the second our hearts latch on to, whether it's an object, a circumstance, an event, a feeling, then we're grabbing on to this back to more tightly than we ought to. Do you ever listen to people? Who's seen Napoleon Dynamite? Okay, Uncle Rico. Remember Uncle Rico? Okay, if you haven't seen it, I'll just, I wish we had a clip. But Uncle Rico, he's like 40 or 50, and just every sentence out of his mouth was in high school. Throw a football over that mountain. Remember that? He remembers being able to throw a football over the mountain. And, and it, this, we all do this. We start telling stories about years gone by, and if you notice how much more glory-filled it gets, it's just how amazing it was. I mean, I, I just think back at even my own stories that I'll tell about high school, and I have to often, like, stop myself and go, oh, yeah, it wasn't that great. I wasn't that awesome. I wasn't, oh, my goodness, I wasn't six and a half feet tall. I was thinking, I told that story like I was. See, we all have this in us. Be perfect, be more, and be for. And the reason is there sits within all of us an emphasis on human effort. As we come back to whatever we come back to, you notice that determination that rises up? I'm just gonna, uh, they gotta be perfect and I gotta be more and we're gonna do it just like before and we'll be fine. We had a neighbor when I was younger and some of you have heard me talk about this neighbor. Um, and he, I, I used to sit in judgment on this guy because he was a guy who just, he was home all day and rarely came out of his house. And what happens when you're home all day and you rarely come out of your house, at least what I observed in him, is his house became his fortress. And it was like suddenly, you know, I'd be shooting hoops on the basketball hoop ne- uh, at the house next door to him, and the basketball would land in the lava rock. The lava rock would go on his driveway, and he would come out and just erupt, absolutely erupt. Keep in mind, I was six and a half feet tall. I was dunking all over the place, all right? And so... And I'm thinking he should be amazed at my skill, but he, he just got upset at everything because his world was that house. You know, a squirrel ran across the lawn. 
Nothing wrong with that. Now, if there was a bunny, that'd be a different story, okay? But um, this, this, like, squirrels would run across his yard, and he would lose it. I mean, everything. And I just thought, this is what has happened to us the last year and a half. Because where have we spent most of our time? Inside. Probably in our houses. Probably home more than we ever were before. So what do we do? We begin to clamp down on the way things ought to be. You know what we think? We watch the news and we think if they would just be perfect, things would be fixed. And if I was in their position, I'd be more than what I'm seeing right there. And if we could just go back to before, it sits in all of us. Absolutely all of us. Well, Paul, Paul's going to keep going here. And, and he's getting at something. He's saying to the church, listen, your life individually and as a congregation, it is going to preach something to the world. It's going to preach something. Verse 21, he says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased. In other words, God intended that he wouldn't use the highest achieving, the highest ranked, the best of the best, the biggest, strongest, fastest. In his wisdom, he knew that the world's wisdom did not know him. So God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. In other words, the wisdom of the world has been corrupted by be perfect, be more, and be for. It's faith in what it can see. But listen again to what he said at the end. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. What what do you suppose is God's method for bringing attention to the foolishness of what was preached that Paul is talking about here? Maybe an arrangement of circumstances? Maybe a letting down of what the world's wisdom thought it could count on? Maybe a pandemic? Maybe social unrest? See, I imagine we all had plans about two years ago for 2020 that looked very different than what they ended up being, right? Some were going to get married, and it got delayed. Some were going to go on trips, and that got pushed off the schedule. Some thought they were going to be with people a lot more than they were, and that got pushed off the schedule, didn't it? He goes on. He says, you see, and for them, he says, if you look around, for them and even us today, There's some form of this. Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. If there's going to be a sign that God is doing what God intended to be up to in the world, we look for miracles and signs and wonders and intellect and wisdom. Jews Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But listen to this. But we, but we, that is, if you have said, Jesus, my life is yours, we preach Christ crucified. And that's a stumbling block to the Jews. Those who think God is just the sign that God's with you is just, it's all power and it's all miracles and it's all signs all the time because they'd seen him do that before. He said, so the cross is a bit of a stumbling block because God on a cross makes absolutely no sense, does it? A stumbling block for Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. See, I imagine some of them would have looked around and said, whoa, okay, when they came to arrest Jesus, I'm expecting power. When, when, when he said, 
I could call down legions of angels at this moment to help me. And as you read that, you think, do it, do it, do it. That'd be a great, that'd be a great scene right there. Do it. It'd be a perfect bow at the end of everything here. He didn't do it. See, Jews, for stumbling, it was a stumbling block for Jews in foolishness to Gentiles. That is, there would have been those sitting there who would have expected Jesus to answer the authorities while he was on trial, the way he had answered all the way through. You know, they would, they would come and they, they thought they had an ironclad case against him. And one simple question would send him away. And now here he is on trial. And as they question him over and over, you read, Jesus remained silent. And we sit there and we think that makes no sense. Jesus, why would you not fight for yourself? And Paul says, well, because God's wisdom was a cross. God's wisdom was a cross. Verse 24, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. That is, it's, it's a stumbling block and it's foolishness to those who operate with the mindset of be perfect, be more, and be for. But for those who are saved, for those who believe, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Verse 25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Now, let me bring this down uh, to us for a second, or uh, back to us for a second. Have you noticed that the times we tend to recognize we need Jesus the most or when there's some sort of human letdown? It's often only when there's human letdown that I finally arrive at the place where I'll lift him up. Have you noticed that? I mean, once in a while we get that glory story and everything's great, but oftentimes if, if I find glory, who do I think accomplished that? Yeah, there's a little Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite in all of us, isn't there? We think we did it. But it, when, when there's human letdown, Christ, it's is, is, is just part of human nature. We're more, we're more prone to lift him up because be perfect didn't work. And be more didn't work. And, and just constantly going back to before didn't work. Because there's something going on inside of us that's holding on to the emphasis of ourselves. And Paul says, no, no, no. What I'm getting at is the emphasis has to shift off of here and onto him. Um, we all come to know this in some way. We all come to know this in some way. Many of you remember, and I'm going to go back to children of the 80s and 90s again, that great movie, Top Gun. Top Gun, remember? And one of the stars of Top Gun, we'll put his picture up, Val Kilmer. Remember Val Kilmer? Do we have his picture? Okay, this is awkward. I, I need Val Kilmer. That's a picture of me. Um, I, this was actually just yesterday at a beach volleyball tournament. I, plane rides do something to my hair. So anyway, um, no, Val Kilmer, you remember, I remember all the girls in like third, fourth grade. He was the heartthrob for them when this movie came out. But if you've read anything in the news lately about Val Kilmer, there has been the human letdown that we're all prone to throughout life, in his life. Val Kilmer has, has gone through a bout of throat cancer that has left him absolutely unable to even speak. See, there's this, there's this piece 
that when we're young, it's, it's much easier to depend on ourselves because in a real way where our bodies are just more able, no offense, no offense to those more experienced than me, but you're the ones who have reminded me of this. I, I remember walking around saying I was sore one day and my dad just said, oh, just wait, just wait. And you know what that's really a reminder of? I need more than myself. Be perfect is not the answer because those next to me are going to fail to be perfect. And I'm going to fail to be more. And, and God, over and over in his word, he says, I'm doing a new thing. I'm doing a new thing. And yes, there are ties to the old thing, but we should always constantly be dependent, not on what was before, but on him right now. And oftentimes, it just takes human letdown for him to be lifted up. Now, Paul is about to just wreck our self-esteem right here, okay? So just brace yourself for it. And, and good news comes out of this, I promise. But verse 26, he says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. And then it just gets worse. Don't worry, here it goes. Ready? Verse 27. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Let me ask you, do you wake up in the morning hoping to be a foolish thing? Nobody does. I mean, in fact, when you daydream, you probably daydream about the things that Paul said in the verse right before this. I want to be wise by human standards. I want to be influential. I want to be of noble birth. But instead, he says, no, no, no. The, the, the very proof of God is not many of you were any of that. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. And why? So that no one may boast before him. In other words, Paul's saying, listen, what God did with your life was for the purpose that when people would look at your life, your life would preach something to them. And it wasn't you glorified. It was Christ crucified. That the only way any of what's happening in and through your life is because of God's doing, not your own. He goes on, verse 30. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. It's not that we reached up to him. It's that he reached down and he came down to us. See, that's what we got to point at. You could go stand on the highest mountain on this earth and you could feel like you got closer to God physically, but I'm telling you that distance that he came down was multiple, multiple, exponentially more than any distance we travel to get to him. And this is what Paul's getting at. It's not because of your efforts. It's not because of your efforts that you're saved. It's his work. It's his effort. You know, I was always puzzled. Paul, why Christ crucified? Why not Christ raised from the dead? Why not start there? Because Paul needs us to understand there is a day coming where there's going to be human letdown. There's going to be human disappointment. And you're going to want to know, <laughs> am I enough? Am I right with you, God? How do I get there? Christ crucified. That's what gets us there. Therefore, verse 31, 
As it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now, the the interesting thing here to me is that this is where Paul starts the letter. You know, Paul doesn't start with just be perfect, just be more, just do things the way they've always been done. Instead, he starts the letter with what God has done, not anything on our part. He says, look, the starting point The back to, that we got to get back to, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not a gospel of my ability or anybody else's ability or any human effort, but the good news of Jesus' effort on our behalf. And so with that in mind, I've got three or four statements that are, I guess, reminders, but maybe some things to chew on this week. Because this, this idea of preach Christ crucified with my life that's a, that's a difficult thing. I, I don't know that I just walk out the door and I go, okay, I'm going I'm to do that. I'm going to check that box today. And so a few things to consider. Number one, don't ever buy into such great news about you, them, or it, a thing, whatever that is in our lives, that it muffles the good news of Jesus Christ. See, if you notice, we're often the heroes of our own stories, every single one of us. And Paul's reminder to us here is that you and I, we are not our own redeemers. We're not. We're absolutely not. And so it's not that being perfect and being more and the things before are bad things. They're not bad things in themselves, but they are bad things by themselves. If we think that's the thing to go back to. And so don't ever buy into, if somebody tells you such great news about you, that suddenly Jesus and his good news, it kind of dims a little bit and it quiets down and you start to think that you're so great that, well, other people need a savior, but I'm good. Be very cautious of that. And it's a reminder we got to come back to over and over and over. Number two, relationships built on human greatness. And I've just learned this personally and unfortunately recently. When a relationship is built on human greatness, it moves one direction, out the door. What I mean by that is oftentimes, didn't we start in relationship, you're drawn to people because you just, you see something really great about them. And we said this last week, and and I don't mean this to to drop anybody's uh, self-esteem down, but you're going to let people down. And people are going to let you down. We're changing our mission of this church, just prepare to be disappointed, Okay. I'm I'm kidding, we're not, okay, but it would be good to keep in mind. It really would, because when we hold up such high standards of one another, you know what we do? We're trying to glorify somebody. We're trying to hold them to a standard that they can't possibly live up to. Only Jesus himself could live up to that. Finally, number three, it's an attitude, an attitude for those of us who follow Jesus that we look at one another and we would say, if Jesus died for them, I'll walk next to him. If Jesus died for them, I can walk with him. Now, this is not easy to do because everything in our culture says, be more, accomplish more, achieve more, be perfect. Okay, students, you know what I want you to do? I'm gonna get so many emails from parents after this. You're gonna love it. You know the best place you could start the semester? Just fail, fail the test, okay? Fail your papers. I'm kidding, Lainey. I'm just kidding. No, but this, is, this, is, this makes about as much sense to us as a statement like that, doesn't it? 
Because Paul's saying, guess what? It's not what you do. It's not what you do. Now, let me clarify. Students, you do need to work hard. You need to work as though you're working for the Lord, right? But oftentimes, we get that into our relationship with one another and with God. And we think we just earn our way to perfection with him. One story and I'm done. Uh, at 18 years old, I, uh, I, I had a few different jobs um, that gave me income. You know, I worked here at the church and um, got to, th- that was my area right there to vacuum out there in the foyer. And so I got to do that. And then I also was a laborer for a construction company. In this construction company, the, um, they were based out of Lockheed Martin. And so every single day I would drive down to Lockheed Martin. You had to have a badge just on your mirror of your car to, to show to get in. And every single day, I remember I'd walk into the construction trailer, which was the office for that branch of the construction company, and it was basically just I had a to-do list of things I needed to do. And there was one, um, it, was a, it was a guy who was called a journeyman carpenter. So he was on his way, and this guy was just rough, rough constantly. And he would talk about his weekends and how he, he, how he spent his weekends, and every single weekend, every Monday, I'd hear about uh, all the drinking, all the partying, and all the fighting that he had. And then it never failed. He'd ask, what'd you guys do? And we'd go around the circle, and everybody had something. And then it got to me, and uh, I was like, I hung out with my friends. You know, and they wanted to know more than that. Well, where, where are your friends from? It's a youth group. Wait, youth group like Church? Like church, so you can imagine, and I don't know if you've noticed, when people get that you come from church and you, you engage with church, you often, you're often the object and the subject of many jokes. So this went on for like a few years, and I didn't, know, I didn't know anything about the Bible at the time. I had nothing to answer with, and honestly, I'm thankful I didn't, because I probably would have slung it back. You know, because I was mentally imagining like a roundhouse kick with my six and a half foot body <laughs> just right at this guy. In these different guys. Well, I left this construction company um, a few years later. And I never really thought about the one guy, this journeyman carpenter, until about two and a half years ago. I walked in somewhere, uh, a restaurant here in the area, and uh, sitting down eating. And suddenly, y- you know when somebody comes up behind you and they just bear hug you or they put their, their hands in front of your eyes? It's so fun, isn't it? I just love it. <laughs> And then when they don't get social cues, like, oh, it's, it's been five minutes, maybe I should let go, okay? Sorry, I'm on a rant right now. Anyway, just don't ever do that to each other, okay? Let's close in prayer. That's the takeaway today. Now, um, and I'm sitting here going, who? I have no idea who it is. He lets go. I turn around, and it's this guy, this guy named Micah. He was a journeyman, the carpenter, from years ago. And as I'm talking to him, he, he just was so, like, just lit up. And I don't mean lit up like his lifestyle from years before, but there was a brightness coming from his face. And I look at his bicep, and there's a giant cross on his bicep. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean anything, does it? Because we all know people that walk around with cross necklaces and cross tattoos, and there are times you want to go, hey, do you see that thing that you're wearing that you got on your arm? But I couldn't help asking him, hey, that tattoo wasn't there when we originally met each other. You know, and if I, if I remember you, that, that's surprising to me, and then decided to take a risk. But if I remember him, 
This isn't that surprising to me. And he said, man, Nathan, you know what I discovered? Oftentimes, Jesus is walking with me long enough to realize that I need more than me. And so a few years ago, I hit rock bottom. Did you catch that? There was no be perfect. There's no be more. There certainly wasn't going back to what there was before. And he just said, I realized I needed more than me. And I thought, oh my goodness, there it is. Often the grace of God is that he just, Jesus walks long enough with us for us to finally come to the realization that our life goal is not me glorified or any of us glorified, it's Christ crucified. That's what we preach. That's where it begins. If we're going to get back to something this fall, let's get back to that is our central message. And of course, that starts in this relationship, but then it goes out into these relationships. And that is grace. And that is where we'll pick up next week as the worship team comes back up. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, For all the determination and willpower and everything else that we want to muster, Lord, would you remind us that the greatest thing we could get back to is your gospel good news? That sin inside every single one of us, inside our world, has caused all of us to fall short of the glory of God. And because of that, we need a Savior. And so, my best effort on my best day our best efforts on our best day, would you remind us that we need something beyond us? That when we look around and we think we've made it, that we need you most. And so, Heavenly Father, thank you for your patience with us. If we're going to get back to anything, please write this on our hearts. And it goes so against every structure of the world around us. This doesn't line up with the wisdom of the world. And so, Lord, give us your eyes to see first and foremost you and grow in love for you, then to see ourselves as you see us and to see one another as you see us. And so for this week, Lord, write this passage on our hearts. Draw us to it. Draw us into spending time with you as we read 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And Lord, we we greatly anticipate what it is you're going to do as we get back to all the back-tos that we discuss in the coming weeks. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.